welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today, I chat with Jack Christopher of Silent Run Adventures, LLC. And Silent Run is a local to me, so here in Minnesota, dog sledding business. And they do a fantastic job with families very family-friendly, very education-focused, and Jack is just a really, really cool guy doing a really cool thing. And so uh, I thought it'd be a great chance to chat about what he does, given that winter's coming, and even though we don't have the snow that I think most of us were expecting up north, uh, dog sledding seems like a really great way to, uh, you know, to get your family into the outdoors. And I say seems like because after talking with Jack, I'm not so certain that I will not go out and buy a dog and start doing this because it turns out it's very accessible and very cool. Um, so it's a great conversation. You won't want to miss it, whether or not you're just interested in, uh, you know, things that you can do out in the winter or if you're not from Minnesota, things that we do up here in the cold, uh, or if you think it might be something that uh, you're interested in, you know, in doing for yourself. It's definitely a great conversation, lots of great stories, lots of great resources. You will 100% not want to miss this. Uh, now, that being said, just a few things, you know, if you could do me a favor and please subscribe to this podcast, it would help me out a ton. And if at the end you like it, give it a good review. It helps me out. It raises the podcast rankings, uh, especially on iTunes. So any help would be very much appreciated. And finally, we have a free resource, Essential Gear to Take With You in the Outdoors. Now, if you have ever taken your kids in the outdoors, you know that safety is a, a pretty common and, and very serious concern. I've been in some pretty scary situations uh, with both me and my kids uh, recently. And thankfully, I had enough knowledge to keep those scary situations from turning into bad situations. But I also had some gear, and that gear was very, very helpful. And so every time I go out into the woods or anywhere in nature, uh, I always have a pack of essential items that I take with me. And I've put that into a free resource for you uh, that I hope will help make you feel a little safer and a little more at peace as you go out into the woods and uh, have your wilderness adventures. So if you'd like that, you can get that at www.wilderoutdooracademy.com safety. Again, that's wilderoutdooracademy.com safety. So with that, let's start today's episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, today I have with me Jack Christopher from Silent Run Adventures, LLC. And Silent Run Adventures uh, is a dog sledding business. And I'm going to let Jack share more about dog sledding. Obviously, that's not my area of expertise, but I'm super excited to have him on, especially as we start looking towards getting into the winter. So, uh, Jack, thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. So, Jack, you've shared with me um, a bit, you know, outside of this, but how does one get into dog sledding? Uh, well, I think most of us fall into it by accident. Uh, me, personally, I rehomed a Samoyed, you know, a white husky type dog back when I was still in college at St. Cloud State, you know, the Huskies, by the way, and uh, took a job in Colorado and happened to teach them dog sled, lead dog commands with some guys I ran into that had trade sled dogs and, you know, started skiing with them and eventually bought a sled and eventually started picking up some rehomes and rescues and bam suddenly i was a musher so um totally by accident if i hadn't rehomed that one husky 
uh, probably never would have uh, gotten into this, I don't think. But I'd never owned a Husky prior to that. I grew up with Springer Spaniels, so not exactly mushing dogs. Um, so I, I think a lot of us kind of get into it by accident. Um, I've seen lots of friends that have kind of gone through similar routes as I had. Um, ran into somebody that mushed, kind of caught the bug, learned a little, got their own dogs, and slowly moved into it. It's not something you kind of just decide today I'm going to be a musher and go out and suddenly have a bunch of dogs. Uh, you kind of got to work up to it. Uh, you know, I guess uh, there's been a few race teams sold on the spot here and there over the years, not not to me or from me, but um, you know, it's, uh, some people have done gone that route, but usually it's something slowly moved into. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned racing as like one way that people dog sled, right? And that's, that's what I'm familiar with. I think most people will have heard of the Iditarod. Yeah, that's common. But like what, what else? I mean, obviously you didn't just start racing. What else do people do with dogs in, in the sledding world? Well, I used to have a corporate job uh, in my <laughs> former life. Um, and for me, running my dog team on weekends was stressfully on my corporate sales job. So I would spend my weekends standing on my runners uh, with a big grin ear to ear, um, just de-stressing running my dogs, um, which is part of the reason why I don't race because that just kind of puts stress back into the equation and that's what I was trying to avoid. Um, so, uh, so the racers are typically way different than what we do. Um, you know, I got into it. Once I started growing the pack with, with the rescue dogs, then I, I ran into a musher up in Northern Minnesota, up in Ely is kind of known as a living legend up there. He was running an outfitting business in the, in the winter. And he would, uh, I call him my mentor, but more him teaching me things is him going one way 20 miles in the back country while i'm going the other way and he'd he'd yell jacques jacques you can't do that or jacques you gotta change this or jacques you gotta add that or jacques get rid of that or something like that and i would take anything he said to heart and i would make that change and so i spent a lot of years just bringing me and my friends up into ely into the backcountry and the boundary waters, chasing lake trout with the dog team. Um, so we'd go 20 miles in, camp for two, three nights, and fish lakers. That sounds like the best thing ever, candidly, as someone who loves to fish. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was terrific. There's nothing like being hit by a you know, a 10, 20-pound freight train through three feet of ice and 80 feet of water. <laughs> um, I've had those things just break a heavy-duty rod right in my hand, um, just smack your bait, and all of a sudden you're just hanging on to a reel. Wow. Um, yeah, they're um, they're an amazing fish, even small ones. So they're a whole lot of fun and great, great eating. Um, but, yeah, I got really hooked on that, and... And I'd be able to run my dogs for a half a day to get into where I needed to fish and fish for a couple of days and run the dogs back out uh, was was tremendous. Um, 
And, you know, then one day the opportunity that came to leave that job, and I did, and um, pretty soon I was running a mushing company. <laughs> yeah, so, like, tell us about that, right? What What is Silent Run, and what do you all do? Well, Silent Run kind of comes from back when college there was a magazine out, Silent Sports. I don't know if it's still around or not. It was basically paddling and cycling and things like that. And so I kind of took the silent part from them, um, from from that idea. Uh, the run, obviously, the, the dogs, the adventures, the dogs, and the unpredictable nature of <laughs> running huskies. Um, sometimes it's too much, too much adventure. I want to call the company Silent Run. Nothing exciting ever happens around here, but uh, that's not the case. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little bit more than I want, um, but so Silent Run kind of came from that. Um, I, I often get asked when I'm hooking up the dogs and they're just going nuts. They're barking, they're howling, they're jumping at their harnesses and just raring to go and making tons of screaming noise. Silent Run, I don't get it, but as soon as I pull the snow hooks or the quick release and the sled's off and running, you don't hear sound out of it. You might hear their paws and the sled runners, hear a little panting. They're not barking. They're not howling. They're not making any sound at all. Completely quiet. So that's where the silent run comes from. Mm -hmm. And you take people out, right? That's that's primarily what you do now is almost like a dog sledding yep. guide. Yep. And um, so do you, do you take people on Boundary Waters trips or just kind of runs... No, we don't. Um, that's actually a um, lot more entailed than running in the Boundary Waters than just that. Um, you, need, uh, you need to be approved by the National Forest Service. And from my understanding, they're not approving any new mushers. So it's probably going to be a dying activity up there, unfortunately. But you also got to split your revenue with them. Um, don't like that too much either. So we mush down here. We do a few public events, not as many as we used to back in the heyday. Now we mostly live off of private, what I call private bookings, where people come out to our place. Um, we own a we own an old horse ranch called the Silver Creek Ranch, um, and we we mush here. There are a couple of big ponds and some horse pastures that we circle. Um, you know, and, and they're with freight sleds. So I've got two adults, maybe two adults and a couple of kids. Sometimes I've had a family of five in that sled. Um, so it kind of depends. Depends on what's got us booked for that session. We only book things by generally hourly sessions. So usually it's just your family there. Um, occasionally we might have something else if it was a particularly small small party like one or two people then maybe we'd book another one or two people but usually it's just that that group and again we take roughly a 10 minute dog sled ride around the around the ranch and the ponds give or take a little on trail conditions uh, time of day makes a big difference the afternoon runs are slower the morning the, the runs are faster trails are hard and fast in the morning and um, maybe softer and slower in the afternoon and the dogs start off super excited they're still excited in the afternoon but they're just not running as fast so 
the trail's not as fast. The temperatures affect them. They like it to be, they really like it to be zero out. You know, my rule of thumb is cold clients, happy dogs. So if it's cold out, the trails are fast. If it's warm out, they're going to be slow. So we go for about 10 minutes. Uh, that's what we shoot for. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's longer. It kind of depends on what, uh, what the conditions are at the time. So, but we are pretty busy doing that. Um, people book online. We approve the time. And they pull in here. We talk about dogs. Introduce them to Siberian Huskies. Talk to them about other sled dog types. Uh, answer their questions. Let them pet the dogs. We learned a long time ago it's much more about the dogs than the ride. The ride's a lot of fun, but the dogs are what keep people coming back. So, again, they're, you know, they're all Siberian Huskies, purebreds. So, usually say I'm not a huge purebred enthusiast, but um, they're not mixed-bred dogs that they call Alaskans. So, um, they're very uniformly matched. They, they all look uh, close to the same. Uh, you know, I get asked all the time, how do I tell them apart? Well, I know I'm coming, going, backwards, sideways. Um, you know, see them all the time, work with them every day. So pretty easy for us but um, so that's the big deal Siberian Huskies are a whole different breed and uh, they make uh, they, they really make the experience for everybody mm-hmm. and you had mentioned you know you you grew your pack how many do you have right now uh, currently we got 35 dogs 33 are Huskies and you know, we usually run six or eight on the dog team at a time. And so the rest are all resting uh, out on their picket lines where people can pat them and interact with them while they're waiting their turn for their ride, uh, take pictures with them, uh, fall asleep on some of them. Uh, the Girl Scouts tend to do that, especially on what our one woolly dog, uh, Mayhem. Uh, she's, very, she's a long-haired husky, so... She gets a lot of attention, and it's not uncommon when the Girl Scouts are here to have two, three, four of them laying on top of that dog. So, uh, so they're very friendly and used to people, obviously. That's cool. So, like, 35 dogs is a lot of dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. How, I mean, how did you get to 35 dogs? Like, I, I grew up with five, and I remember feeling like yeah. the weird kid on the street sometimes, you know. I, how how did you go from well, one to thirty five? That uh, that happened rather fast. You know, I I got my first two sides from a friend of mine. Um, they were about a year apart in age, and then uh, when I moved out into the farm country, um, out near Monticello, I'd come home. It was pre email. I'd come home and there'd be notes on my door or voicemails on my phone, you know, I got this dog, he's eating up my house, will you take him? And so I added 10 or 12 dogs at that time uh, to my kennel and created my first teams. Um, Since then, we've taken in more rescues and rehomes, but we mostly have bred our own dogs. We don't sell dogs. uh, What's born here lives their entire life here. Um, When they retire, they just retire. They, They just hang out and watch meet people and sit on the picket line and get pet and um, enjoy the leisurely life. Um, but they do build up 
there are a lot of dogs available out there, especially post-COVID. Uh, we preach about Siberian Huskies all the time. Uh, they're not a easy to deal with dog. People buy them because they look cute and snuggly as little puppies, but they grow up to be dogs that dig and chew and run away. Um, that's their nature. So it's, there's not a whole lot of chance in correcting that. You get maybe one out of 30 that might make a real model house dog, but you're probably going to go through a few before you find that dog. You're not going to walk into a litter and say, oh, that one's going to behave fine. Yeah, not going to happen. So, you know, we've got a lot of lot on that side that uh, came from other sources, but uh, our primary running dogs are all related. In fact, up until recently when we lost our grandma dog, um, you know, it was common. We had three generations of Huskies pulling there um, or even on the same team pulling. Um, so, but unfortunately, most of our older dogs have, uh, have had to leave us by, by not our intention or theirs, but uh, they got old and that had, that's what happens with dogs. So um, the other ones uh, now do a tremendous job, and, but I do miss some of those old dogs doing what they did particularly well too. So but we brought in five rehomed dogs last year, last March, right at the end of the season. One was, came from a kill shelter down in Atlanta that got sheltered up to us, or shuttled up to us um, to join our kennel. And the other four were in Minnesota together and somebody that uh, had, had a problem with their current residence and needed to rehome their dogs. So one of those came in with a tore ACL that we had fixed the next month. And one of the females was five days from having puppies. So she had six puppies after, shortly after she got here. So our five new dogs quickly became 11 new dogs. And so people ask me how many dogs I got. It's, it kind of depends on the day. <laughs> kind of a fluid number sometimes. Well, and I mean, I think one of the things that stood out to me when we chat is you are such an advocate for Siberian Huskies, right? What like what makes a Siberian Husky one? And then two, like why, why Siberian Huskies for dog sledding specifically? Well, I, I guess if I hadn't started with Siberians, maybe I wouldn't uh, be so connected with them, but Siberians have been around for, I don't know, in the neighborhood of 3,500 years, probably more. Um, Siberia, Russia, where they used them as sled dogs. They might have pulled a sledge as opposed to a sled, more of a platform with a couple curved pieces of driftwood under it. But, you know, that's how the local people up there traveled. Well, and of course, you know, we bought Alaska from Siberia. So I think there was probably a lot of Siberians running around Alaska before they, um, started changing their focus to Alaska uh, to racing dogs and, and created an Alaskan Husky, which is a crossbred dog for racing. They tend to be more hound than Husky. Well, part of that crossbreeding also probably took a lot of the independence and stubbornness out of them. When you start mixing in uh, various other breeds into what was a Husky, suddenly you get a much easier to handle dog. Siberians are a handful. They're high energy. They're very independent. They're extremely intelligent. Uh, all the all things that make uh, 
dogs a, a challenge. So some are escape artists. They can climb fences. I've had some that can climb trees. Uh, they're definitely take being a dog to a new level. So unless you're really in tune to dogs, it, they're going to be a problem for you. Um, I ask people often that say, oh, you know, I had a Siberian Husky when I was young. And I said, yeah, how'd that work out for you? Well, I usually get the same story. Um, often it ends in a rehome or, um, oh, I dog and it chewed. And yeah, well, that's what they do. Um, they're a high energy dog. And if you don't wear them out, they're going to find some way to use that, that energy. I was... My wife and I were gone visiting relatives yesterday, and it was like, okay, when we got home, it was late last night, I got up today, and it's like, okay, what am I going to find that they did yesterday while they were unsupervised? Um, usually I would come home, and that would mean there's a big hole dug someplace, probably in each kennel, um, but the ground's froze enough that that wasn't the case. It seemed like they probably behaved pretty well, but I might find something yet that they took their, took their uh, oh, whatever, their enthusiasm out on while I was gone. But I usually say a tired husky is a good husky. One that's um, got lots of energy and not been running all day is usually up to mischief, which, by the way, is one of the names, name of one of our dogs. <laughs> mischief. Well, and I mean, now you mentioned to me that you've got a lot of other animals, too, which keep you busy. But yeah. like what does a daily routine of taking care of 35 dogs look like? Well, when I get up in the morning, when it's not mushing season, uh, especially at least the last um, almost nine months, uh, I go outside. I uh, dole out a few things that need to go to a few specific dogs. I go to the puppies and I feed them. And then I go out to the barn and I feed the alpacas, the goats, the sheep. Um, yeah, the miniature horses, uh, probably the chickens and the turkeys. And my wife, and I probably do the litter boxes out there. And my wife does the rest. But then I come in and I clean the kennels. Um, then we generally got about four hours to try to take care of other projects. Then we got to start over, including feeding all the dogs. That takes roughly an hour on a good day. And then got to feed all the other other animals. And if they're out in the pastures, they need to come in. Um, so that, that might take another hour or more, depending on what we're doing. So that's kind of my typical day. When we're mushing, I'm outside at least at least by probably seven o'clock to be mushing at nine. So I got my kennels cleaned, my dogs fed, uh, a quick run through the barn to feed everybody, and then get my get the sleds out and the dogs all outside on the picket line before the first clients get there, mm -hmm. and hopefully get something eaten sometime in that. Uh, in that few hour, couple hours. So, <laughs> and then we mush. You know, we got a, usually got a nine o'clock client, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. We might have noon off. And we mush 
again, one, two, three. Uh, then once we get into February, we probably start in the book four o'clock so as the days get longer. Try to be largely wrapped up by the time it's dark out, at least giving rides. Sometimes we extend a little past that, but it, we'll get the rides out done and then um, let that group go into the barn and uh, experience that uh, after it's starting to get dark on it. So um, that's kind of what life is around here. It's kind of hard to get away. Um, can't just, uh, they don't fend for themselves very well. So uh, it's a little hard to teach people to take care of them for us. Uh, our, a couple of our kids do a pretty good job of it. Uh, they can't, they've got jobs and their own animals to take care of, huskies mostly, um, of course. Um, so we can't have them out here doing our chores for us all the time, but uh, occasionally they do, like yesterday. But um, so it's pretty busy. We don't uh, we don't leave home a whole lot, at least not for very long. Um, so it definitely keeps us uh, busy. <laughs> So what amazes me is that you were doing this when you had kids. Like I know they're adults now, but, um, yeah, you know, we, we've got three little kids and it's, it's hard to like, you know, sleep. Um, <laughs> so I can't imagine, you know, well, running the dogs when you had kids. Fortunately, I wasn't really doing this when we had little kids. I mean, I, I had, um, huskies, but I silent run is starting this season. Is our, this is our 15th season. So the kids are all in their thirties. Um, so they weren't that young then. Um, you know, when we were mushing just for fun, that was different, but I also didn't have quite so many dogs. Um, I might've had 15 to 20 at that time, maybe a few more. And it was a lot easier to, to deal with, but, um, this, this new group, uh, is, is a bit more of a challenge. Um, you know, we moved a few years ago. This is our fourth summer in this location at the ranch. Before I had one big kennel and all 10 to 20 dogs lived in that together. And uh, it was a little easier, but now we've got oh, about eight different kennels, all fairly large with anywhere from two to seven dogs per kennel. Um, and they're each, most of those kennels are like 30 by 40 feet, maybe bigger. I think the biggest one is 45 by 55. They've now got the six puppies in and their mom. Um, some of them are a little smaller that only have like two dogs in them, uh, but it's all just shuffling them around to keep the dogs getting along with each other. The, the ones that grew up together for the most part along fine together but the ones that came in from other locations then you, uh, you you can't just kind of toss them in and expect them to be a part of the pack they need to either work their way in or be in a separate pen and there's some that we've got that just plain need to be in a separate pen so but there's there's no um you know five by ten little dog kennels like you see in backyards they're all much bigger than that uh, the kennels all got either a big dog shed to go into or the majority of them go into kennels that are inside a 
garage, so they've got access to indoor kennels in the garage. Um, so they can kind of do as they want, and it's a, it's kind of a maze of kennels out there. It's uh, it's pretty orderly, but it's certainly um, it, it's uh, it's 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 an advanced setup, mm-hmm. to say the least. So did you take your kids out at all when when they were younger? Um, no, not so much. Um, I used to take my grandkids out. Um, my daughter's a little older than, than Chris's kids. Um, so, you know, I'd have my grandkids up here and I would take them out some. Um, but, uh, you know, when Chris and I got together, her kids were a little older than that. So, um, but they quickly fell into a love of huskies. And as I mentioned, they, They've all got uh, at least two themselves, and um, so they bring them out and run with the teams. They drive sleds for us. Um, they know how to use a shovel, which is important. <laughs> That's cool. So you you did this though for a long time, even you know before you had kids. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've got some great stories. What are some of the more memorable experiences you have out on the trail? Oh, <laughs> oh, I uh, dropped a. Uh, sled half through the ice on a river once and um you know my lead dogs pulled me out um yeah i don't know i've had lots of uh lots of situations um i'm a pretty even keel guy so handling and, and accustomed to stress so it's uh being able to keep my head in situations is kind of a an ability i've had for a long time and I don't get too over the top if something doesn't go right. I can usually uh, work it out. Uh, strange things happen. So, you know, especially in the middle of nowhere, I've seen a lot. Uh, you know, it's whether it's a deer or a grouse or a turkey or who knows what coming out of nowhere. Um, you, you learn to flow with it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know where to start when it comes to stories. I guess <laughs> Well, I mean, falling through the ice is a big one, right? Um, <laughs> how, like, how did that happen? Well, um, I'd been running on the North Fork of the Crow. I was just mushing for fun back in those days. My brother was driving a team behind me, and there was a bend in the river. You know, the Crow River isn't a large river. Um, and it was pretty well frozen. I was following tracks I'd made. Um, but when I came around um, one corner, there was obviously thin ice on the outside of the break and thin ice on the inside and a nice chute right up the middle. And I was heading to go through that just fine. And then my lead dogs second-guessed themselves and jumped back towards the bank. When they did that, they turned the sled back that way and at first the piece of ice a big plate of ice kind of broke and the back of the sled started to slowly to sink um as the whole sheet of ice kind of tilted and i had my friend's uh son in the bass in the front of my sled and i told trent to uh, jumped to the bank and he just crawled up to the front of the sled and got to, got to the bank. He didn't even get a wet foot. Um, meanwhile, I'm kind of in my 
in the water almost to my waist. And my lead, my, my wheel dogs, the big dogs right in front of the sled are in the water. My next dogs are up on ice. My lead dogs are up on ice. I gave them a hike and meaning tell them to go and they pulled us up out of there. Um, got back onto good ice. I kind of checked everything over and turned around and directed the dogs through the, the good part of the ice through there. And, my brother luckily stopped his team and was able to hold them. And so I leave, told the dogs to go back through the uh, open or the, the uh, solid spot, and they crossed back through that. And we're back on the way back to uh, back to Trent's grandpa's farmhouse. So um, you know it was fast. Um, the only real problem I had was when we got about halfway back. And my lead dogs found that there was a raccoon holed up on a, in a den on the side of the river, and they needed to decide to go investigate that. And I had to pull them out a couple of times and back off the bank and onto the ice to get them to unbuy that. And, um, every time I took a step, the cold water in my boots got colder. And as long as I was standing still on the runners, it was comfortable and warm, and I was fine. But, um, when I had to move that boot, then I had a new rush of cold water in my foot. And I had to go move these dogs out, I think, three times to get them back to park to get past that coon. <laughs> so. That's um, wild. Yeah, every day is an adventure. Sometimes a little bit more than I want. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, ice is always an issue, right? It's almost like you're you're a snowmobiler in a way, right? Just a way more awesome snowmobiler. Um, yeah, um, they can skip water. We can't. Um, I've I've had my my former lead dogs that I didn't have with me anymore at that time. Would have read that, would have read that ice condition and gone right through the the good part and right between the two bad parts and never would have missed a beat. Wow. Um, Diablo that I called Dio, my my first Siberian was excellent at reading ice if we're traveling in the back country and he'd look back at me if he didn't like what he was running on if he was encountering slush and i gave him the freedom to just make his own trail around it and he would um, he could he, he could read ice and take the safe route just file his own experience um you know i was on the I was on the um, Elk River once, and there was a finger of open water coming up toward the down tree coming from the opposite bank, and good ice, about 10 feet of good ice between the open water and the end of that down tree, and Diablo read that and made a big swerve with the team and took us right through past the end of that tree and right around past it. Now I look back at the guy following me, and his team was just heading right for the open water, and he was doing everything he could to stop that team on the ice. He did. He imagined, managed to, and they managed to listen to him and go around it. But uh, they just seen me on one side of the river, then on the other side of the river, then back on the other side of the river, and they were trying to make a straight line to where I went. Um, but experience goes a long ways. One of the lead dogs we lost this year was um, – an incredible backcountry lead dog. She took me out of two blinding blizzards in the Bondi waters where she couldn't see the trail, I couldn't see the trail, I could hardly see my lead dog, but she could feel it. 
she knew where it was, she knew where my, knew where to go, and she just uh, kept on going. Um, she was amazing. So. Wow. Like, how do they know how to do that? Uh, it was pure experience. She she grew up uh, running in the backcountry with me um, before I started the mushing business. So um, enough trail experience. A good lead dog can feel the trail under their feet. Sometimes they can see it. And certainly they can smell it because there's been a thousand other dogs running down that trail. And they're not, they're not all just leaving tracks. Um, but we've a lot of other <laughs> things that have some smells going laying on that trail. So, uh, you know, a good lead dog's got several ways to tell. That, that first blizzard, the difference between the two feet of new snow and the actual ice in the packed trail was only a couple inches. The second time, a couple weeks later, the difference between just the bottom, just the ice surface and the packed trail was about six inches, but it was still under a good coating of snow. But it was real. It was easier for her to feel it at that time. And I came out of that second blizzard with two lead dogs uh, running side by side. If one of them, if the trail turned a little bit and one of them stepped off it, they immediately pushed the other lead dog over a little bit. So both dogs were back on the hard packed trail. Uh, the other dog on the other side, if she stepped off, she did the same thing. She'd push Blue over and they'd... Uh, kept on going i stood on my stood on my runners in complete amazement watching these two dogs work yeah i mean that that sounds amazing all right so let's say in theory i could convince my wife to get one dog that's you know we're we're working on it we're working on that road as a family um yeah how if someone thought that this might be something that interested them um what what could they do to to start to sort of test the waters? Well, you know, I started off skiing with with my first husky. Um, they they like to call it skijuring. I prefer the term Nordic mushing because it's a bit more descriptive of what what we're doing. Um, so, and they make a lot of so called skijuring belts for you to wear. But they're usually something that goes around your hips or around your waist. Well, that's got a problem when you're being pulled on skis of wanting to pull you on your nose. I went out and bought a fairly inexpensive rock climbing harness. And you hook the carabiner much lower. And you can kind of sit back almost like you're water skiing behind those dogs. So... You, you didn't have a tendency to want to fall on your face. Um, you could use your ski edges much better. And then you just need some type of a line. And depending on the dog, um, you probably want some type of quick release if they're dogs that you dare release from. A Siberian Husky, you probably don't so much want to do that. That Husky might be off and running and you might have to see it for a few days. Um, so... But generally, there's a quick release involved. There's a bungee involved in, to um, catch some of the shock uh, or to mitigate some of the shock uh, from, from them pulling and you skiing and your resistance. And you know, then a, any type of a dog harness will work, whether it's just a shoulder-type walking harness or whether it's a sled dog harness. But that's an easy way to start. And you know, I used to do that with three dogs. Uh, this is probably 
borderline crazy, but it's fun. I was a downhill mountain skier, and so it was exciting for me to be able to do that. Um, so, as far as sleds, you know, there's used equipment out there. I bought my first used sled probably in 94-ish, something like that, and I probably had four or five dogs, and you, know, you just start. There's some classes out there. There's a mushing boot camp available that some people have taken. I've never done anything like that. Um, my my big experience, uh, you know, as far as any learning from somebody was from, you know, Kelly Murphy up in the Bondi Waters. And I already told you about him. Jock, you got to do this. You know, Finn's up there. Uh, Jack comes out, Jock. <laughs> so... Um, but there's some books, there's, um, you know, Atlas has got a book on mushing, several other people, but a lot of those are geared towards racing and they're not so much how to's, uh, they're talking about Alaskan Huskies, which may or may not translate to a Siberian Husky. Um, they tend to be, in my opinion, a lot easier to handle. I see videos of Alaskans crossbred dogs uh, running loose next to a musher uh, all the time whether they're going down a trail or whatnot but you wouldn't do that with a Siberian Husky Siberian Huskies are gonna keep running they're not gonna stand there and wait for you and just heal um, but when you started mixing your Huskies with labs and stuff then suddenly you got dogs that will heal and still pull so uh, the, the, the dogs you're running with um, make a difference. My first one again was a Samoyed. But when I first started ski touring back in Minnesota, uh, I ran my Sammy with a, with a Springer um, just to give him somebody to run with. And they both did great. Um, the Springer wasn't pulling so much, but she, she loved to run. Um, and then I got the Siberians and, you know, the Samoyed taught the Siberian lead dogs, man. And, you know, we're off and running, but there's a lot of used equipment available out there. There's a tremendous number of rescue dogs available in rehomes. Uh, we get that uh, we get that call about once a week. It seems that you know I've got this dog. Will you please take him? And we're uh, pretty picky about it, especially once now that we got so many dogs as we do. We're kind of not uh, taking anything in. And so don't call us, please. <laughs> but. There are groups like Siberian Husky Rescue and others that uh, that have them, and just you know your local your local shelters probably got huskies. Um, people buy them and don't really know what they're getting into until they until they're not happy with them and, and they home them. So um, you know, like I said, we spend a lot of time just educating people about the nature of Siberian Huskies. So that, uh, try to prevent that as much as possible. I tell people they can come out and see us, have their husky time, and go home and still have furniture and nice green grassy yards, and, uh, <laughs> curtains that hang right, and um, you know things like that. That's awesome. Nice things, not things with tooth marks. <laughs> so, I mean, that's I think that's a great transition, right? Jack, so if, if people want to come find you, if they want to experience, uh, you know, you're, and I should say I found you because I was looking up family-friendly uh, dog sledding 
places and and you just came so well recommended from everyone i was able to uh to read or connect with and so if folks wanted to bring their kids or their families or even just themselves uh to to learn about the huskies to spend some time with you to spend some time uh sledding how can they find you well we've got a facebook page under silent run adventures there's also a google page under the same name and both pages have a link to our square account which is our reservation system and through that you can see available times your options as far as uh, what you get charged for different lengths of time um, some some groups book two or three or even four hour sessions and most people say families or small groups of friends will will just book an hour session usually take you know it's a mixture of ages maybe up to 10 people in an hour-long session and if it's if it's more than that you might want to go to two because it's probably going to cost you less um, so we we do charge different rates for children than we do adults um, but that's all available through square you can see all those rates and and times and dates available if you don't see a time available it's it's already been reserved so so it's going to be we get called sometimes and people say it looks like you're not available on weekends and say no we are but those weekend times are all taken so that's why you're not seeing any availability um, so if you got weekend weekday times uh, you're going to find a lot more availability and you know people have been booking times especially for the coming holidays for months so especially those that couldn't get in during the holidays last year, then they were really on the early this year getting in and getting a time. So, but hopefully we're mushing through mid-March. Hopefully we're starting here in the next couple of weeks, but that's hard to say. Right now I got grass, so I need some snow on top of it. Um, the ice is coming along, but we got a warm week coming, so... I haven't bothered to go out and check the ice thickness. There's no point in it. Um, but once I got six inches of ice, we'll be running on the ponds. Uh, once we got a couple inches of snow to get between them, we'll be good to go. Um, one thing, trail riding, you need good snow if you want to be able to hold the team in place if you got to fix a problem. But running where we do, uh, where I really only need to be able to hold a team until one of our people that are helping us can get there to give me a hand. Um, I don't need so much. I basically need enough to, to grease the runners a little bit. So I don't need a lot of snow, but some is helpful. There have been years where we just started on our front pond and then it snowed and we started running the one pasture in the front pond and then we got a cold snap and suddenly I had enough ice to run the next pond and um, then we they're running the full route all of a sudden after three or four days but we kind of do what we can um, things change a little bit preferably we're running the whole route but everybody always has a good time regardless of what uh, what we've got available to, to be able to run on so especially our, our out-of-state clients. Um, some of them I've just been able to have on our smaller front pond early in the season, and uh, they're just thrilled. Uh, people who live in Minnesota are probably a little bit more 
excited about wanting to see the full route, but um, but still, it's nearly the whole route is within view. Um, there's a couple of couple of slight blind spots, but where I go around a corner or behind a small hill, but uh, for the most part, everything's always in full view. There are a lot of Girl Scout troops, and um, that's uh, a, a good thing to have. Just to have full availability all the time or full visibility all the time. So, but uh, yeah, you can find us through either of those two avenues. Both of them have got the uh, square connection, and you can go in that. You can request an open time, and Kristen, my wife, will. Or respond to you saying yes that that works or ask you for more details or just you know send you out the invoice so you can pay your deposit everything uh, you know in this day and age everything requires a deposit to hold things so um, especially on our our high demand times so if um, you know if something comes up last minute we got a sudden opening and someone takes it we'll be a little more lenient towards that but with credit cards and everything these days, mostly everything's all done half up front and then paid the rest of the square afterwards. So uh, that works pretty slick. Uh, saves us a lot of phone and email time that uh, I used to always have to do myself. So this uh, new system works uh, very well. That's awesome. Well, Jack, thank you so much. This has been great. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh,